Today, I wanted to share with you a few places where, where God is at work. And just before we get into the, to the, to the word this morning, you know, one of the ways that Jesus, we talk so much about is Jesus told us to engage our neighbor, that, that our community is ours to steward. And, and, and it, it's, it's really impressive of, of how important it is to engage your neighbor. I was, I was at a Bible study this week. Wednesday morning uh, and, and at the, the on Music Row with songwriters and and one of the songwriters Justin was talking about he just came to Christ about about six months ago and and he said man I was at church at, at this church service and there was this this lady sitting over by herself she's probably in her early thirties and you know close to our age and he said I know it felt weird but. But he said, I just went over and said, hey, you don't have to sit by yourself. Why not? It was kind of a, a public gathering thing. And he said, I promise we're not weird. You know, and, you know, it's a dude talking to a girl. She's probably thinking he just wants to ask her out or something or whatever. But he said, just come over and sit with us. And so she, she did. And, 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 and he, he invited her to come to his church and, and uh, later that week at a, at a different gathering. And she actually, she actually showed up. And that night, she gave her life to Christ, literally got saved. And I thought, you know, and he and I were talking, and I said, the simple power of an invitation. It, 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 he didn't even go into the Roman road or the Gospels or the four spiritual laws. He just said, hey, would you want to come to church? And I think sometimes we forget that there are so many people that are ready that somebody else has been priming for years. The Spirit's been doing something. We, it's, we're called to engage our neighbor. Here's some, here's some of our students engaging their neighbor. This is, uh, this is the, some, some of our, our girls in high school, and, and they were casting vision and being out. There's just a few of them there. that They were being asked, what, what does God want to do with you this year? What is God putting in front of you to be a missionary to the culture? And that's what's happening in our student ministry. I'm so proud of, of what Jamie and Emma and others are doing, many of you that help, uh, helping our students see, man, Listen, is it ever more important in the United States of America that young men and women of God know that we are for them? Is that important? I think it's crazy. That's worth clapping. It's not golf clap that. That's not a golf clap. That's a come on. Yes, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Let me tell you, uh, for all of you men, if you're hungry, dudes love to eat. Here's something else our church is doing to engage our neighbor. Uh, Monday man meals at Mojo's. That's a lot of M's. All right. Let me tell you, we don't really talk about this a lot because it's just a guaranteed rain or shine. The first Monday of the month, we're meeting at Mojo's. And that's, that's for any dude. I don't care how old you are or what you're doing. Show up at Mojo's 11, between 11 and 1130. We're going to eat. And we're just, it's a time to, to really bring people, come together. Man, it's awesome if you get a chance. We do it every first Monday at Mojo's. And so I, I hope that you can make room for that in your heart. Today... There's just a couple things that's happening in our world right now. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the ways of Jesus. One of the ways of Jesus. If you don't know the five ways of Jesus, we talk about them often. Jesus put the kingdom first. He was always truthful. He, He taught us to live free. Last week, Mike talked about living free. He taught us to engage our neighbor and then we, we understand that Jesus practiced God's presence. That is part of the life of Christ. The ways of Jesus are the lifestyle habits of Jesus. And we've identified five. There may be a few more. There's one I'm kind of kicking around in my head right now that may be a sixth one, a, a consistent life habit of Jesus. But Jesus practiced God's presence. So how do we do that? How, how do we go about practicing for Jesus Prayer, and it wasn't only about praying. It was about walking. It was about listening. It wasn't just a time of day. It was a lifestyle habit. So how do we build that into our lives? Well, 
it's not always easy. Today, I'm going to talk to you specifically about when it isn't easy. I'm going to talk to you about finding God's presence when God seems absent. Everybody's felt that way. I don't, I don't know that I've ever met a Christian that did not struggle in this area. I don't know that I've ever met a Christian that didn't. If it makes you feel any better, just a moment of self-disclosure. Like, I go through dry seasons, not every now and then, all the time. I, I, I've gone through, I go through multiple dry seasons in a year. It's, you, you got to give yourself permission to be human. There's times that you're going to feel that God is as close as your shadow. Like if you turn around fast enough, you're, you might just see him. And then there's times that you feel like you're standing at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And you, 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 you can't, you just don't even know where to start to find him. That's, listen, that's normal. Jesus even encountered it. And I'll tell you where you can see the humanity of Jesus. Go to the garden experience before the crucifixion. What did, Jesus was just distraught, right? And there on the cross, Jesus said something that I think we don't think a lot about. He said, you have forsaken me, abandoned me. The moment that I needed you the most, you're nowhere to be found. Right? There's times where God seems absent, man. It's just hard. And maybe, you're, maybe you've ever felt like, you know, I know that somewhere behind that, like that picture with the fog and the trees, somewhere behind that fog he's around, I just don't know where to start. And I don't know where to go. We've all been there, right? So today I'm going to do something a little bit different, right? We're going to do a little Bible roulette, okay? This isn't one passage of Scripture today. Sorry for those of you that just like one thing. I'm going to mess with you. I don't often do that. So I, in fact, I can't even tell you the last time I did that. But I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to take specific Bible characters. And I'm going to show you four practical ways that we can walk this out. When you find yourself in the fog, you, you've been around me. If you come a, a, enough to Clearview, you know I, I'm really big on what I call theological survival, right? I, I'm, I'm not here. In this room, you know, the, you know what the hard part about preaching is? I'm just a little group therapy for a second. You know what the hard part about preaching is? In this room, I have people with PhDs right now, with PhDs in theology. And I also have middle schoolers. You try that <laughs> if you think you're so good at it. It's hard. It's, it's hard to, to figure out exactly. So I, I could go deep into the Greek, and some of you are going to be like, oh, man. Whew, he earned that seminary degree, boy. And then some of you are going to go, I can't even hardly. I, man, dude, you don't understand. I barely made it through high school. I hate school. You know, I could go all kinds of directions. But for my heart, it's all about not just that I could help you be Bible smart. Listen, there's a lot of people in this world that are Bible smart and spiritually mean. There's a lot of people in this world that are Bible smart and arrogant. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. So my goal today is to help you make it Monday through Saturday till you come back again. That's my goal. So today I'm going to give you four places. And I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. If you want to write these down or maybe stick a, a, something in your Bible, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes 4. That's in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to 
find, find ourselves in Luke chapter 10 in a minute. And we're going to find ourselves in 1 Kings 19. Ecclesiastes 4, Luke 10, and 1 Kings 19. And we're going to bounce a little bit in there. So here's my goal today. I'm going to talk to you about finding God's presence when God seems absent. And I'm going to give you four principles that I have found. You may not. By the way, this is a good sermon to take notes on, right? Let me tell you why. Because if you're not in a dry season, I will prophetically promise you in the name of Jesus you will be. At some point, maybe soon, you'll find yourself in that weird mist. So what do you do to steward the presence of God? I, I was in a dry season many, many months ago, probably over a year ago. And I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I got this phone call from this lady who was very instrumental in my salvation, Miss Martha Few. And uh, I thought, well, Miss Few called me. You know, I didn't even, I, my phone stays on silent a lot, not because I, I forget that it's there. You ever do that? Like, I just forget that I keep it silent, which is kind of a good, it's, it's ended up being a blessing most of the time. So I thought, well, I called Miss Few. I said, well, hey, Miss Few, how are you doing? She said, well, hey, honey, how are you? And she's, she's, Gosh, I didn't want to ask her. I hadn't talked to her in quite a while, but she's, she's not put this way. She's seen a lot of years. I said, well, hey, I just I hadn't talked to you. How you been? I saw you call me. She said, I didn't call you. I thought, well, yeah, Miss Few, my phone says you did. She's like, oh, it must have been one of those pocket calls. You know, she's probably getting close to 90 now. And so we talked for a long time. And listen, man, she's one of those ladies you want praying for you because if she's praying against you, it is... Bad things going to happen. Now, I'm not kidding. Like, there's people that know the Lord, then there's people like her. You know those people? You've been around people like that, right? People that, know, people that go to church, and then people that walk. I mean, Holy Spirit, that's her. And so we were talking about it, and she said a phrase to me that in all my Christian years I've never heard. I was talking about, a dry, how are you doing, honey? I'm like, I'm okay. I'm kind of in a dry season. It's in my soul. And she said, well, you've got to steward the presence. So, Miss Few, what does that mean? She said, you got to steward the presence. God gave you his presence, but you got to manage it, son. See, it's like she can talk to you like that when she's like 90 and you're not. you gotta, you got to manage the presence of God. It's yours. you got to steward it. And, boy, that hit me. I thought about that for months and months and months. What does it mean to manage? Well, when we get in the fog, we've got to steward the presence. And I'm going to give you a couple of key truths. Number one, here we go. Position yourself near people who pursue the Holy Spirit. I didn't say church-going folk. I said you've got to position yourself. And by the way, this morning, even when I was putting these notes together, I really did feel, and this didn't often happen to me, but it happened to me this morning. I really felt God tell me not to push through this part right here. Because I had just a few short things to say, but I'm not going to push through this. But I, I know that sounds very simple. Position yourself near people who pursue the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, if you let me tell you something about it, man. You, you, you are going to take on the characteristics of the people you run with. That's why your parents, remember when you were in high school and your mom or your dad said, I, I, don't, I don't like that boy. Like, what's wrong with him? They just knew. They could sense it. Right? Nah, something's going on over there. Listen, for all of you students, when your mom or your dad says, I don't like that girl you're dating, you better listen. Most of the time. Sometimes mama's just mad. You know, not always, though. I'm just kidding. But your parents have these senses, man. Your parents have these senses. You learn as you get older. Mm, that vibe, 
You, you know why your, your parents were upset sometimes when you were running with the wrong people? Because they know you'll become like the people that you run with. In fact, while I'm on it, I'm a little ahead, but I, I, I go, go two over. I made you a quote this morning. You will become like the people with whom you travel. That's straight from Jason. That's a good one. That'll, that'll tweet. All right? You will become like the people with whom you travel. You will. Do you know I've even seen statistics and I've even read articles before that said, I don't know if this is true, but I've read it in magazines, so it must be. I'm telling you, that your net worth will be within 25% of your top 10 closest relationships. That was, that was in a financial magazine I read. Now, I'll tell you what, I've never done that research myself, but I can tell you this. You will take on the personality of the people. That you put yourself around. If you're, if you're in a spiritual dry season, look at what Ecclesiastes 4. Now we can go backward to 1. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Now this verse is not about praying, but this verse is exactly what I'm talking to you about. I've memorized this verse. I really have. I'm giving this to you from the New Living Translation because I kind of like how it says it. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. The, the New American Standard actually says, pity the one that falls and has no one to help him up. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Amen. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. The scriptures are telling you this morning that two are better than one. If you're in a dry season... You need to get yourself near to people who know the Holy Spirit. You will become like the people with whom you travel. I've even seen it in church life. And I served a church one time. And uh, you know that, that phrase your grandmother taught you a long time ago, birds of a feather flock together? You ever heard that? How many of y'all have ever heard that in your whole life? Uh-huh. Why? Because it's true. Birds of a feather. I, I, I served this church one time, and, and there was a power group within the church, and, and, and the people that ran the small group, one of them, he was, uh, he'd been around in that community for a long time, and, and uh, he's a small world, so it's, I'm not speaking about y'all, by the way. This isn't code. I, this, is, this is a long time ago. But it was funny how that small group began to be the biggest cancer in the church. You know why? Because it was led by the biggest cancer in the church. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. I used to watch that guy, and I was young in ministry. I used to watch him. I didn't plan on going into all this, but I'm going to go with it, right? I used to watch that guy in business meetings. This is what he would do. Some of y'all going, who's he coming to? Nobody. Just take, take, hold on. He would, he would get up, and the pastor would lead the business meeting up there up front like that, and if he didn't like something, he would get up, and he would walk halfway down that aisle, and he would just start pointing his finger just like this, and you said this, and you said, I'm, this is, I'm not making this up. Now, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have met him halfway, and I would have slapped him in Jesus' name is what I would have done. Because some people, that's in Deuteronomy. That you, some people, you just need to slap in the name of Jesus. And, and you, you can't let people just bulldog the community like that. I'm going to quote the prophet Larry Cruz. Son, do you know why bullies are bullies? Because everybody's letting them be. Would it be any secret if I told you that that dude owned the church? And so did his small group. Why? That's why Jesus gave us Matthew 18. Take care of stuff like that. See, you're, he attracted people like that. 
I've watched, you know, who, you know who gossips will attract? More gossips. I found at 51 years old, I, I found myself watching who I listen to in podcasts. I've found myself monitoring, and I forget sometimes, to be honest, but you will become like the people that you travel with. Be careful, Christian friend. But the opposite is true, too. It's not just on the negative. It's true on the positive. You can position yourself against warm people if you're cold. You right? Were you traveling with me? So, if, listen, there's so many people in this church that are full of the Holy Spirit. Man, if you're down, get next to somebody. I will tell you this, and this is the part I think that God really wanted me to bring up to you this morning. you got to be, listen to me now, this is important. You've got to be proactive in that. So There are so many people in this church that are full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what they're not. This is you. You're going, boy, I tell you, I sure do wish they'd spend time with me. I don't like the fact they don't spend time with me. They're not coming to you. You're going to sit right here for the rest of your life because they they're not even aware of your condition. You, did you hear what I said? They're not even aware of your condition. Let me tell you what I found about godly people. I found this about good people in business. I found this about people that are good at anything. Really good people don't mind sharing with you how they got good at what they're good at. So all it takes is for you to get up. Some of you want to be better in business. You know what you need to do? Many of you that are young millennials in business, knock on the door of your vice president. Hey, how did you do that meeting like that? You think they're going to forget that when it comes to promoting time? That you're eager and you're hungry? You want to get good in anything, get near people who are good. You want to get deep in the spirit, get near deep in the spirit, people. And they'll show you. That's why First Wednesday matters so much. Some of you really don't know how to pray. Get near people who can pray. Get near people who can pray. Listen to how they talk to God. Listen. Listen. And they'll teach you, man. They'll teach you. Two are better than one. Position yourself. Let's move on. i got to go. <laughs> Number two. Open yourself to God's full range of counsel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I struggled all week with how to say this. I really did, man. I didn't know the best way to say it. I'm going to say it again. Open yourself to God's full range of counsel. Now, I want, to, I want to tell you what I mean by that, and I want you to listen to me really close. You're going to go out of here misquoting me, and then you're going to be a heretic, and I don't want you to be a heretic, man. I don't want you to do that. All right, open yourself to God's full range of counsel. There's a, God speaks in a lot of ways, but I want to tell you, 2 Timothy, if you're taking notes this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, this verse tells us about the Scriptures. It's a, it's a Scripture about the Scriptures. All Scripture is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, or that is correction, for training in righteousness. Let me tell you what that scripture means on the street level. You can count on the word of God. It doesn't have error. It is infallible, meaning it is without fault. It is without error. The word of God, in a clear view, we hold to that word. That word, the word of God is true and accurate and able to speak to any situation. All right? Now, see, where are you going with this, Jason? So let's, let's look at this next image. I drew this out for you. 
So these are the bookends of Scripture. We call that a closed canon. The, the canonized, your, your, your Bible is a, a, a canonized version of the Bible, and it's closed. In other words, there's no new books of the Bible coming. And if you ever see anybody with a new book of the Bible, you need to run. It's called cult. All right? Genesis to Revelation. Those are the bookends. But I want you to stay with me really close. All right, we're going to use the piano. Okay, this is Genesis. What is this? Genesis. Genesis. Okay, I'm going to bring this over here. And this is Revelation. What is this? Revelation. That is? Genesis. And that is? Revelation. Okay. So within these bookends of Scripture, God doesn't speak outside of that. Okay? God will never lead you to do something contradictory to His Word. He just doesn't do that. Amen. But th those are the bookends of Scripture. But within those bookends, how does God speak? Well, God chooses all kinds of ways to speak. And this is where the challenge comes for many people. Is God speaks in ways that you're often not comfortable with. And so you stiff arm them. You know why? Because that's what we do with human nature. You ever thought about how many times you say that's weird? That's weird. You know? Alabama fans, that's weird. <laughs> just kidding. I just want to see if y'all are awake. That's weird, right? Uh, that, that shirt, that, that's, a weird, that's a weird sweater. We're weird to you. Maybe not weird to the person that bought it. God speaks all kinds. And this has been a challenge for me because we tend to be comfortable with how we grew up and comfortable with what we were told. But now stay with me because this is critical for you. Some of you aren't hearing from God. Are you listening to me? Some of you are not hearing from God. You know why? Because you're closed to the ways that he speaks to people within the bookends of Scripture. Within the bookends of Scripture, God speaks all kinds of ways. I haven't heard him speak in every one of these ways, but I know he does it. So let's just look at a few. Here we go. Go to... God speaks through dreams. How many times in the Bible? In the Bible. From Genesis. This is Genesis. What's that? Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation. Oh, a few times God has spoken through dreams. Now, God has spoken to me in dreams only a few times. In fact, I never had what's called prophetic dreams until I came to Clearview. And I had three in the first 12 weeks. Boom, boom, boom. Just like that. And the Lord spoke to me about what was going to happen in the first year came true to the T. And you know help me, who helped me interpret that? Many of y'all didn't know he's not here anymore. Shane Pass has the gift of interpreting dreams. People from all over Franklin, outside this church, and people from across the United States call Shane Pass to help them interpret dreams. And sometimes they're like, ah, that's not from God. Just put, hit the delete on that one. But Shane helped me interpret those dreams. Never had those before. God speaks through angels. Only a few times, oh, a lot in Scripture. In the bookends of Scripture, God speaks through visions. I've had a few in my life. God often will speak to me in visions. I've, I've probably only had a handful in my entire Christian existence. I don't have a lot of them, but I'm, I'm open to them. And I can walk with you through visions if you've ever had any. They're, they're not weird. In fact, I'll, since I'm talking about it, I, I'll just tell you. Um, I, don't have, well, I do have my phone, which is kind of strange. I don't normally have my phone on me. Um, you know how you take a screenshot? Click. Almost everybody I know, it's funny, that's ever had a vision. I was like, does it feel like a screenshot? Yes. 
Like within that screenshot, it'll tell you everything you need to know about that situation. Every time God's ever spoken to me through a vision, it's, it's that quick. But within that image, I, I'm, I'm told what I need to be. But it doesn't happen very often to me. I'm always fully awake. I'm not like half in, half out. Don't ever trust those visions. <laughs> dreams are fully into dreams. But if you're kind of halfway, half in, half out, that's just, you need coffee probably. All right. Spirit-filled people, creation, events, manifestations. God speaks all kinds of ways between Genesis and Revelation. And I think the reason that sometimes we have struggle to listen and hear from God is we're not open to those things. Let me just share with you a few scriptures to back this up. Look at Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Creation. There's times, man, when I'm in creation, even if I'm in a dry season or a foggy season, you know what creation always does for me? It reminds me that I have a God who is able. I have a God who is able. I see a sunrise. Or when I see a ray come through the clouds, I've got a big God. He speaks through creation. Look at, look at what the next verse says here. I think this is Exodus 3. Yeah. There, there was an angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in the flame of the fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. That's called a manifestation. That happened in the Bible. I don't explain it. I can't explain it other than it happened. That, that's how God chose to speak in that moment. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, let me tell you why that verse matters. Sometimes God will speak to you not through a manifestation or not through, you know, any type of uh, creation event or, or a weather. God speaks through weather event. I've never, I've never encountered an angel that I know of. Maybe I have, but I don't know it. But God speaks through spirit-filled people. And we are told in Scripture not to despise that. In fact, do you know that word despise in the original language? You know what it means? It means to mock. Yeah. You know, you, you ever met theological people like that? Yeah. You know, they have dreams. That's called arrogance, people. Oh, that person... That person has a prayer language. You better not mock what God calls normal. You better not do that. I wouldn't do that. I don't have a prayer language other than English and a little bit of Southern. But I know people that do, many actually. We're told not to despise that or mock it. You know what's funny to me? You know what's hilariously hypocritical to me? The same people that will mock other Christians for saying the Lord guided them in a vision. The same people that will mock other Christians for saying that God showed up in a dream. The same people that call that hocus pocus are the same people that will amen a virgin birth. Did y'all hear me, what I just said? How, how more abnormal can you get than a virgin birth? 
faith is built on it. How more normal and abnormal can you get than somebody coming out of the grave? Friends, ours is a supernatural faith. And I'm not advocating for some circus at Clearview. I can tell you that we could use a circus from time to time. It would help. I'm not advocating for the crazy. But don't you find it amazing that if you are a Christian in today's world and you advocate for the Holy Spirit, that you have to automatically advocate too that you're not one of the weird ones? I think that's weird that we have to advocate that we're not weird. I think the Holy Spirit is the most normal thing about Christianity. It's called Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I'm going to push for it. Here's number three. Here we go. We've got to move. If you're in a dry season, I would say recalibrate how you approach God. Now, not all of these may fit you, but this one, this one might. This is a big one. It's very actually big for today's world. Recalibrate how you approach God. Now, I'm not going to share with you the whole story. Let me give you the context of the story, okay? There's two women in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 10. All right? It's in Luke. If you already got your Bible there, it's in Luke chapter 10. And one's named Mary and one named Martha, right? Well, who was Martha? Teacher's pet, right? I mean, she was the one that was always on the front row, doing everything, staying busy, keeping going, keeping going, keeping going. Had a big party coming over. Jesus was there, right? Got a lot to do in Jesus' name. And Mary said, ah. I think I'm not going to help out. I think I'm going to sit. And, and, and now, what does, some of you know this story really well. What, what, does, what does Martha do? Martha not only pours out wrath on Mary, right? But guess who also feels Martha's displeasure? Jesus. Do you not even care that we've got all this stuff to do? You know, I mean, Martha's bold. You don't, do you not even, it's one of those back-ended questions. Do you you not even care? And Jesus says this to her. There's only one thing worth being concerned about in this moment. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken from her. You know, When I say you need to recalibrate how you approach God if you're in a dry season, what I would say to you, friends, is listen to me really close. There is never going to be a time, and I don't use never a lot, there's never going to be a time when you do not feel as if there's a lot to do. Whether that's a lot in school, a lot at home, a lot at work, there's never going to be a time that we don't feel the pressure of more. And I tell you, but I'll tell you this, and, and you've, heard me, you've heard me for going on seven years now talk about this all the time, that I believe that one of the greatest threats to our spiritual existence is hurry. We live in a constant state of movement. And it's not pace and going 80 miles an hour. It's in our brains. We, we always live in transit somewhere else. And Mary in that moment, Mary said, no, I, I, I really do want to sit with Jesus. You see, I think the principle here, when you look at Luke chapter 10 and what it says, you know what I think the principle of spiritual development is here? It, it is closeness, closeness by choice. 
Closeness by choice. Mary could have jumped up and helped Martha. In fact, there's a lot of good people in evangelicalism that would have called her lazy and not helping. And nobody's, by the way, nobody's saying you shouldn't be prepared. I mean, you got a bunch of people coming over. Man, you got people coming over. You got to get some things ready. That's not the point. The point is that Mary chose to be close in a hurried environment. Does that sound like your life? Mary chose to be close in a hurried environment. You can choose closeness with God when all the world is hurried. Now, I want to say something to you. Other than sin, other than sin, sin being the number one, other than sin, I can't think of anything that will suffocate your spiritual life like hurry. I can't think of anything. Other than sin, I can't think of anything that will suffocate your spiritual life more than hurry. And that's not just in the morning when you get up. It is an abiding all day long that you are present. That's what I'm trying to learn how to be present in the conversation. Sometimes I think, for, you know, I think for many of you, and I'm going to leave you with this on this point. I really do believe that many of you would see the fog lift spiritually. If you would recalibrate your approach. Your approach to life is killing you. John Ortberg said it best. Hurry is not the sign of a disordered life. It is the sign of a disordered heart. Some of you, you're not experiencing God because of the way you're choosing to live. And I would encourage you to do what Mary did. Now, I'm going to give you one more. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to this. I've given you lots of scriptures today. But I want you to go to 1 Kings 19. It's the story of Elijah. God used the story of Elijah for me in many ways and throughout my life. The role of a prophet. So here's the context. I'm going to give it to you. Because we're not going to read. It's a big story. We're not going to read. We're just going to read a couple of quick verses. Elijah has been on a multi-year run being close to God. And now God has called him to go confront the polluted worship environment in his country. So now, now he's got to go and do battle with this lady named Jezebel. Okay? So Elijah goes to Mount Carmel. If you know the story, Elijah calls down fire from heaven, right? He calls down the fire. It, it, everything, everything gets burned up. You know, Yahweh is the victor. The pagans are not. And Jezebel is mad. Jezebel is the wife of Ahab. And Jezebel sends a runner. And she sends a runner to Elijah. And this is what she says. I'm going to put it in everyday language. I'm killing you tomorrow. And Elijah knew that this woman wasn't playing around. 
She actually was going to kill him. She had people willing to kill him. She had power. She had clout. She had prestige. She had money. And she was, this, listen, she was going to take him out. This was not metaphor. It was absolute. And he knew it. So you know what Elijah did? He did what most smart men do with a scorned woman. He ran. Right? He ran. He got out of town. Now, I, this is where the story gets weird to me. I've just called down fire from heaven. For Jason, I would have think, bring it, woman. You like barbecue? Because I want to give you some brisket. Where Just tell me when and where. I would, be the, I would be the biblical version of Wyatt Earp in that moment. That's why I'm not in the Bible, right? I mean, you would think this guy just, his head would be huge with ego. But he runs. Okay, whole other sermon. So he goes to a cave. God finds him in the cave, and he says, why are you here? And Elijah says, well, I, I'm, I'm by myself, and I'm the only guy left, and I've been zealous, and, and I'm nowhere to be found. He's been, in, he's been depressed. He's at the worst part of his life. He has isolated himself. He's living in a cave, and we don't, I don't know, I'd have to read really slowly again to see, but I don't know that we're told how many days he'd been. He had been isolated for a long time. You ever been, you ever been in a cave? I don't, I don't mean really. I mean, have you ever been in a cave mentally? You ever been in a cave physically in your, in your soul? You ever been in a soul cave? I've been in a soul cave many times. I really have. Mind, heart, will, emotions. You ever been in the cave of the soul? I have many times. So, so God finds him there, and then he does something. Here we go. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, 1 Kings 19, verse 15, the Lord said to him, go... No, hold on, back up. I gave you, I gave you a little bit, a little bit too quick. Verse eleven. So he's in the cave and they're talking. He's at the entrance of the cave and in verse eleven, God says to Elijah, "Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord." Go stand on the mountain, Elijah. Get out of the cave and go stand before me. Go stand in front of me. And it says, and behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rendering the mountains and breaking them into pieces into the rocks. I mean, it was a, it was a theological storm, and theophany, they often call it. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, verse 12. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle wind. And Elijah heard it, and he wrapped his face in his mantle. Think of a scarf, so to speak. He wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and, before, and behold, a voice came to him. And, he, and, he, and so he's told by God to go stand on the mountain. Now, I'm going to give you the principle here when you're in a fog. Worship. Worship your way out. Worship your way out. Say, what do you mean by that, Jason? Worship your way out. You see, worship matters because the Bible tells us that worship is a time where demons have to flee. You, when, you speak, when you speak the name of Jesus, you just sang it. But when you speak the name of Jesus and when you're gathered in, listen, the enemy, the enemy cannot stand in the presence of the holy. And in worship, 
is when, and it, that's a, and I don't mean Sunday, if you're thinking that, I mean, if you find yourself in a fog on Tuesday at three o'clock, start worshiping God. It does something to you. And that doesn't have to even use music. That can be you pulling over your truck. It can mean you sitting there in your cubicle. It can mean you getting away in the sales conference room for just a minute and say, God, I'm coming to you because I'm your child. I'm coming to you because I've got to go into this meeting and I'm pretty pressed about it and I'm stressed about it and I can't figure out what you want, but I know you're the truth. And you start declaring back to God who he is. That's called worship, you see. Worship takes, it has all kinds of context. And so when you don't know what to do with your kids, right? You know, what you, you, pull, you pull yourself away and you got to, I know you're, I'm in the fog of what you're trying to do. I want to worship you. And what happens is you will begin to stand on the mountain. His, his career was in distress. His life was messed up. And all of a sudden he says, go stand before me. Now let's look at verse 15. Look at what happens in the worship moment. This is huge. Look at what happens in the worship moment. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Elijah, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arised, anoint Heziel, king over Aram. He, he gives him a new assignment. And anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, and you shall anoint him king over Israel. And Elisha you shall anoint as the prophet in your place. Now, remember what Elijah had told him. I'm all by myself. Everybody's left you but me. Everybody's deserted you, God, but me. I'm the only prophet left. Well, then let's look in verse 18. And God says to Elijah, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Two things happened in that worship moment. Two things. You ready? He got a new assignment. He got a new assignment. I wrote it down for you. Look up here. He got a new assignment and he got a new reality. See, your emotions are real, but they're not always the truth. He got a new assignment and a new reality. The new assignment was, hey, Elijah, I'm not done with you. I know you think she's going to kill you. She's not going to kill you. I've got a new assignment for you. Come out of the cave. And worship was what lifted the fog. But also, there was a new reality. Hey, Elijah, there's, there's 7,000 people Walk in the same. You're not alone, buddy. You're not alone. Get back on the horse. Your game's not over. So where does that leave us today? I gave you four principles, right? Position yourself against people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up from the bookends of how, how God speaks. I don't know how he'll choose to speak to you. Just make sure it's biblical. Be willing to recalibrate your approach like Mary did. Change up the way you live and... Make sure whatever else you do, worship your way out if you're in a fog. I want to give you, I want to end this with a promise. It's in Psalm 107. Hutch read it earlier. For God has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. In fact, I want you to do something. I don't often do that. I want you, I want you to read that out loud with me. That's a promise from God. Ready? Here we go. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There's a promise. Who does he fill? The hungry. The hungry. That's why we do First Wednesday. We cry out for a hungry spirit at this church. Listen, God made you a promise. If you're hungry and if you're thirsty, that's who he fills. Appetite. Appetite matters to God. Appetite matters to God.
You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. And you'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.